I'm Tim Baxter. I'm Danny Barcelona. And I'm Alan Tarleton. And this is game time. Yay, take two. After the first take didn't record. The second coming. We've had such a great weekend of football. So many upsets. So many interesting, great, great matches. Um, but of course, the one everyone's interested in. Football coming home to England. 2-1 victory over Tunisia. What did you guys think? It was a very interesting match, but I do think there are a couple of questions that need to be answered going into the rest of the tournament. The first one being, are there any tickets left for the final? Uh, and the second one being, how do I get a Russian tourist visa? I, I, yeah, I think we're going all the way. Fantastic. Ah, oh, Harry Kane, smashing it in. <laughs> Come on. Almighty Lord and Saviour, Harry Kane. Captain um, Leader Legend, step aside, John Terry. It walking down the aisle. It should have been Harry Kane. He is now royalty. Harry Kane is royalty. <laughs> He'll pull off anything. He would have done that white dress. <laughs> <laughs> what a match it was. Some really, really great attacking football, which we haven't seen for England in God knows how long. Um, something we've already want, wanted to see. Despite a few maybe defensive issues, a few goal-scoring issues, a lot of missed opportunities, and the trouble with VAR, which we will get to, don't you worry. There's going to be a lot of angry words said about that. Two penalty decisions. Not gone England's way. But... I mean, what do you guys think? You enjoy seeing this style of football from England? I think it was the first time in a in a long while. I, don't, I might have said this in the past, but I, I really enjoyed the match. You know, it's it's a rarity for England where I just sit back and think, wow, we're actually playing some good stuff. It's quick. I'll say it, we, we were playing with some arrogance. We were playing against lesser opponents. And for once, we didn't treat them with any real respect. For the first half an hour, especially, we were just running at them, quick passing, quick movement. If not for some slightly questionable finishing from Lingard and um, Raheem Sterling, it could have been 3-4-0 within the first 30 minutes. Yeah, Raheem Sterling let off from the offside decision uh, when he missed an open goal there. I don't know what he was doing. He'd been rubbish at skipping in like primary school because he <laughs> just sort of jumped over the ball in the worst way and just fell over. But we had so many, so many great chances. You said one from Lingard, who did have a decent game, but it's a great game from Harry Kane. Uh, Deli Alley, Henderson had a good game as well and Trippier from down that right hand side really really influential a really really great start in a system we haven't seen England really play with before either they as I say were such a young inexperienced squad uh, really really few caps between them and of all the big teams definitely like the least capped youngest squad do you think that's an advantage going into this World Cup? I think they're probably not weighed down by past failures I think that's certainly something that might play a factor. Obviously, there's a, a few of that squad that will have been... In, actually, there's quite a significant amount of that squad that was in that Iceland game. But obviously, that's not weighing down on them. And they're, they're playing with a lot of freedom. Um, Gareth Southgate's obviously instilled something in them because I said for the first 30 minutes, they were playing with real flair and they were obviously expressing themselves on the pitch. Obviously, going on in the match, there could have been other factors going on. There. They did look a bit leggy towards the start of the first... Sorry, second half. And, it, and the game did die down a bit. But they certainly kept pressing. It switched to a more sort of possession-based. They were sort of almost camping outside the Tunisian penalty area. And, you know, they, they kept pressing and eventually it pulled through. Excellent result in the context. I think a lot of that slowdown was partly due to Deli Alli. I think it suffered a dead leg, maybe, sort of 40 minutes into the first half. A lot of the energy in that first 20 minutes was through, due to him running through, sort of, through defensive lines. No one really picking him up. He slowed down a bit. I think the tempo of England slowed down. He was really, really crucial to that. But it did come back. Um, and we've got a lot of pacey players as well, which really helped. But just touching on that sort of point where there's not a huge amount of pressure on England, before the match uh, in the BBC studio, Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard were talking about the World Cups they played in. And sort of the pressure they had um, between, like, because obviously Man United, Chelsea, uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, all huge, huge rivals. When they'd go on England duty they would sort of sit in their own groups in their clubs. Like They were all friendly, but there was always this sort of distance between them because they'd go from being rivals all season to then having to come together and play for the same team and perform. This England team now doesn't seem to have that. They're all, they all come together, with, with foreign teams like Argentina, their players are spread out all over the world. They come together in a sort of like a group of friends almost uh, and they enjoy playing together. With England, that's not really the case. They're the only team in the tournament who all their squad players play in the same domestic league. And it sort of shows because they all, I say, they, they compete against each other the whole year and then come together. And now 
and say they are they're sort of playing as like a group they've all come up through under 21s and 23s together um, and they all know each other quite quite well and I say with a lot of young players they've all gone through the ranks together I wouldn't, um, have, I wouldn't have said though that that was a particularly good excuse I think looking back on it that's something you could say might have played a factor however two of the biggest sporting well football rivalries but also sporting rivalries is Real Madrid Barcelona yes it's huge that Spain squad that was so successful 2008, 2010, 2012 a lot of the players didn't get on at all but they had the quality and the system to get through that I, I think that well when Rio Ferdinand was talking about it I think Lampard sort of echoed those comments I, I think that's more of an excuse to fit their failure than anything else. Because yeah. really, if there was a better system in place, if they had utilised those players better, that was a good England squad and it should have done better. Yeah. It could have done better. And really, it just sounds like a bit of an excuse. I think, it, I think it was a small factor as opposed to the main reason why they didn't succeed. Like Playing poor scores on the left and bad managerial decisions were probably the reason that squad didn't do as well as it could have done by a long way. But, I mean, under Gareth Southgate, that sort of idea doesn't seem to exist at all he's got a really good aura of around the team with the players and it just seems much more friendly like Deli Alley was on CBBC doing some like a flossing dance toward you know on the children's tv channels like you wouldn't see Frank Lampard and Rio Ferdinand doing that in 2006 or any of the championships around then so it's a better I think I think it's a better atmosphere that Southgate's created I mean Rio Ferdinand was too busy doing his world cup wind-ups last time England <laughs> were playing in a major tournament which we did binge watch the other day, yeah, myself we did. and Danny, and it's, <coughs> it makes for excellent viewing. Just just watch it again, please, because it's the best thing. Going back to the game, though, it was at, at times slightly frustrating. We sort of touched on the VR thing, but uh, the, the way Tunisia sort of handled corners and free kicks was really frustrating to look at. I mean, even uh, obviously us in the studio, we're going to be a slight bit biased. but Just a tad. It, I, I think even the neutral could look at that game and think, there was some questionable handling in the penalty area, especially with the context that Kyle Walker gave away a penalty mm, for, yes. a, I don't know what it is, a shoulder or an arm across the face, but that was not as dramatic as, I mean, there were takedowns, the wrestling body slam. Oh. Well, let's go on to this, this sort of these decisions then. So VAR, is like it kicks in in four situations uh, without the referee having to discuss it. So it's sort of goal line technology, uh, offsides, penalty decisions, which is the main one here, and uh, mistaken identities. Mistaken identities. Now, the ref, the first incident for the penalty was Kyle Walker giving away the penalty uh, to Tunisia. Now, uh, whether you think it's a penalty or not, it was given. But the thing we always ask for with referees is to be consistent. Now, the two penalties that England should have had, in my opinion. I think were definitely bigger shouts of penalties than that Kyle Walker one. The reason they probably weren't given from the referee's perspective was that he maybe didn't see it. He was not at a great angle and they were from corners or from, there were lots of people in the box when they happened. So maybe he didn't, his focus wasn't on that. But I think especially the first one, it was, uh, I believe it was reviewed. It was, um, yes. So that's, I think Ashley Young went to the ref and, um, I think he requested it, but obviously a player can't request that sort of thing, but it did go up to the VAR. They did have a look at the incident and they decided that wasn't wasn't penalty worthy. And obviously, having watched it on TV, that was replayed over and over again and we got a lot of angles of it. Hmm. They potentially only had 20 to 30 seconds to make a decision there. I still think even based on 20 seconds, you it, it seems quite clear. He's got his hands right around his chest. And there's intent there. There's definite sort of... Not looking at the ball, only exactly. an aim to take Harry Kane out of the game. It was... If the Carl Walker penalty is a penalty, that Harry Kane one is a penalty every single day of the no week. Doubt. Yeah, yeah. He was not only being... You get arrested for doing that. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> on the street. He was not only grappling him, he <sighs> dragged him down to the floor pretty much every set piece England had, bar that last one. Yes. When he scored from it. And well, so the thing is... We all think it was a penalty if the referee had seen it live. But the issue with it comes is that it was... These decisions go to VAR automatically. Hmm. And so the guys upstairs, the fourth officials, all sat in with all the TV screens, see this, and then can alert the referee as whether 
they think he should stop the game to then for him to check the sort of decision. We don't know now whether the fourth officials upstairs told the referee to check the decision or whether they told him not to check the decision or whether he just decided not to do it. Also, he was told and he decided not to do it when game the play was still going on. If that was the case, then it, maybe not be, it might not be a VAR decision or a VAR problem. It might be a refereeing problem in that he was told to check it. He didn't see anything live, so he decided no. If that's the case, do VAR then get given the, or should VAR then get given the authority to decide whether it's a penalty or not and tell the referee and force him to stop the game and give the penalty? I don't understand why it's not the same as rugby. I don't follow rugby completely, but I'm pretty sure the referee says something along the lines of, is there any reason why I can't award this try? Well, if there's ambiguity, the referee will say, well, we'll then put it to the TMO, who will then recommend to the referee, and that will be up in the stadium. There are obviously complexities to that as well. In rugby, that tends to be sort of isolated incidents for a try. There's ambiguity to this, and I think it's obviously a new technology. And if anyone was watching the ITV studio a few days ago, I think Roy Keane made the point that this is a new technology. Why are we testing it at the World Cup? Yeah. Well, it's been, I'm saying, it's been in the FA Cup and it's been in other foreign leagues like Serie A. But they just haven't got it right, and I don't think it should be at, at the World Cup when they're getting decisions this wrong. The, th- the rugby point is that rugby's a much slower game, as in it's not as free-flowing or m- quickly moving as football. So the but- referee has time to go to the TMO and say, is there a reason why I should give a penalty for this? Or is, what, how should I give the try? But also typically within the rules of rugby, the, the context in which it's used, there, there's very little ambiguity. Yes. Mm. Uh, it is, was it touchdown? Was there pressure on the ball? I, I won't go too much into that, but the rules in which that's used in, it's binary. It's yes or no. It's try or no try. It still leaves a lot up to the opinion with some of these VR decisions. And, and like we said, it, it's not refined. And you do feel like compared to goal line technology, which again is a yes or no decision, still ambiguity to this and referees to my knowledge have only been trained on this um, for for a matter of weeks I think they got together uh, for a summit a couple of months ago potentially and really got introduced to how the system works what they're meant to do and I'm not sure that's really appropriate for introducing it to a World Cup stage so do we go back to the point then if the referee on on pitch uh, isn't able to make the decision do we go so the guys in the the room watching the screens can make the decision for the referee and tell him that it's a penalty so that he doesn't have to make the decision he can let the game go on while the guys upstairs check if it's a penalty or not and make the decision for him the problem with that for me is then what's the point in having a referee on the pitch if you're going to let a man in a box with a video tell the decision there's no point in having the referee on the pitch have no linesman, have no referee, just have a man watching TV like we all do when we watch football and let him make the decision. You kind of can't have it. I don't think you can have it both ways. You either have no referees and no linesman anymore and there's one man that sits in a box and makes every decision because he's got every single camera angle available or you have a referee on the pitch that just has a better connection with the people upstairs that makes it more fluid for the entire stadium because I think... My problem with it is I think it's great and I think it works. It's just in that sort of infancy. And I think the difficulty about it is that there's so much waiting for people that don't really, the fans don't really know what's happening. Yeah. On TV, I think they've done the coverage well. They sort of split screen it. They did show it while it was happening. Yeah, you can see the VAR screen. You can see the actual screen. You can see the referee. I just think it will get better. It's just a very high-profile stage to test it on. Let's hope, let's hope. A word about Harry Kane, though. Yes. Man for the moment, steps up. Obviously, someone that's been fouled twice during the game, potentially could feel a bit hard done by throughout that whole thing. Should but do. Is <laughs> there in the right spot, both, both the goals, sort of reads the situation quite well, pulls away for the defender in both times very well, gets the goal. They're strikers' goals, and he does it better than anyone. I tell you, that header, he made look easy because the flick onto him was slightly behind him and there wasn't really much pace on it. He really had to get all the pace on it to beat the goalkeeper at his near post. And he's a complete striker. I think that's the best way. And he he didn't complain a huge amount. Um, Both times he got fouled, he got up, he carried on with the game. 
didn't didn't complain a huge amount wasn't throwing a hissy fit or anything like that he he got on and found twice the the perfect spot so yeah well done to him hopefully no. we carry that through the tournament uh harry kane still on form uh and potentially going to be one of the leading goal scorers in this tournament maybe he's yeah. only got he's got ronaldo ahead of him on his on three with his hat trick he's got lukaku joint with two and Cheryshev joint with and two as well. Cheryshev. So and Diego Costa. And Diego Costa, of course. So they're I mean, they're all big players other than Cheryshev, who not many people had heard of before, it's fair to say. Yeah. Um one thing about that England game, if we could mention something that they probably need to do better, especially against Panama, who will probably line up similar to the way Tunisia played. Yeah. A lot of players behind the ball. That opening twenty minutes, half an hour, as Alan said that arrogance of the England team, moving the ball quickly, spraying passes left, right and centre, was fantastic. But it really slowed down. And it was hot on the pitch, to be fair yes. to the players. You could see all the sort of midges and stuff everywhere yeah. as well. But, but, it, I, but it was the same with the Nigeria game and it was the same yeah. with the Costa Rica game. We came out after the second half and we were lethargic, slow. Passes. Didn't get into the game for about 10, 15 minutes. That's okay against Nigeria. It's okay against mm. Tunisia. If we do the same thing against a superior opponent, Belgium in two games, we're going to get punished for that. Yeah. If we don't come out the blocks flying, because players like Hazard and Lukaku will punish are, you. Are going to punish that? Yeah, that's you, you saw that. You saw that. So the other big game of uh, Monday was Belgium versus Panama. The other game in a uh, sort of Group G with England in it. Um, Belgium looked quite lackadaisical throughout that match, but the three goals came from absolutely stunning moments of quality, showing how good the players in that team are. So you had Mertens' is just brilliant volley uh, for their first goal, which Belgium needed to sort of kick on. Then two great goals from Lukaku. The first of which a brilliant, brilliant pass from De Bruyne that's cut the penalty box in half, headed right into the corner. And then uh, Lukaku's second, Belgium's third. Really great run from Hazard. Great pass through and a really, really elegant just chip over the keeper. Um, if Belgium can do a bit more of that, they look really dangerous. And as you said, they were average for a large majority of that game. They just looked like the lethargic. They didn't turn up for the first, sort of almost the first half. But as you said, there was three moments of real quality. Uh, the volley was sensational. De Bruyne's sort of outside of the right foot chip in was, was yeah. amazing. It We've seen laid it, all laid it for Man City and he's doing it now for Belgium. Absolutely. Laid it on a plate for Lukaku. And then the final uh, goal was a neat through ball. And then Lukaku finished it off. Yeah, excellently. He, he seems in good form, well, and that's the worrying thing going into that match with them that they don't really need to play that well no, at yeah. all. They can, they can just perform like that. Well, they were missing Vincent Company through injury, and then Moussa Dembele, who I thought most people thought would start, was on the bench. I thought they mm. could have really used someone like him who can carry the ball through through players through the midfield and really really create stuff, as well as being that sort of defensive rock, which Witzel didn't really seem to do. And De Bruyne was playing very deep as well because of that, which isn't really the place where... You could see it on his, his expression on his face. He didn't really want to be playing that deep. He was picking the ball up from the centre-backs in his own half and then having to spray these long balls forward. I think... Uh, I can't remember who said it. One of the pundits said uh, he wants to be, he, he needs to be passing to himself. He needs to be spraying these balls and then it needs to be him on the end of it to then create something. And they didn't really have that. But If I'm going to be the cynical one in this... That Belgium team is there for the taking. Yes, they were average. And yes, they won 3-0. But if Martinez is going to continue to line up with a defensive midfield partnership <coughs> of Witzel De Bruyne and Yannick Carrasco as a left wing back. Not if, a defensive if player. If Panama's... The two chances that Panama created in that game came from Carrasco switching off. If you've got Kieran Trippier there, Kieran Trippier puts in either one or two perfect balls for Harry Kane to tap in. And I think that's the problem with the Belgium squad. Much like you said last week with the Russia game, judging them on a 3-0 victory over a Panama side who've made their first ever appearance at a World Cup isn't really that impressive. And especially the way they played after 45 minutes. If England start the way they did against Tunisia, I tell you what, I would not be surprised if England went 2-0 or 3-0 up. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad shout. And certainly... You'd hope that England would be able to put Belgium to the sword. But you talk about Trippier as well. And not only that, but Carl Walker on the right mm. side. So you're talking about a really pacey couple of right-sided players in defence. In terms of the main threat of Belgium, obviously this is going to be Hazard. 
but that, that's certainly something we're going to be able to potentially deal with. And and you're right, there's not a lot to be gained in terms of knowledge about the how the Belgium squad are going to perform mm. based on drubbing a, a Panama team who've never been to a World Cup and they look slightly out of place potentially. Yeah, well I'd say I generally do think they were missing company at the back and then Dembele would have been such a huge uh, input in midfield. But it's almost like Martin has made those decisions to, or to leave Dembele out and the sort of decision to have Carrasco on the left. But you can see Thierry Henry's influence going forward in how well they attacked. I mean, you've got the quality of Hazard. Everyone knows how good he is. Everyone knows how good De Bruyne has been. And you can see that with that pass and that link-up play. But it is almost looking like sort of two different teams. You've got that attacking style, which obviously Henri's going to have an influence with. And then the rest of the side, which did look quite average. So you're right. They are. They could be there for the taking unless they improve drastically. Um, it's going to all come down to that, that third group match, England's third match against Belgium, where... Can our defence stand up to it? And then can we punish the rest of their team? The question uh, is, though, do we even want to come top of that group? Ooh. Well. So, no, no, we'll, we'll talk about the Germany game in a, in a brief <laughs> moment, but it might be uh, beneficial for us to come second I think there's talk group. about this every tournament, and I think well, it's have got a point, yeah. but you can never rely on the results from other groups. Not something you should play for. And you should oh, yeah, always, always play for top of the group. Um, we sat... Yeah, it was... It was over the game or before the game, and we genuinely were were close to doing a whole like Venn diagram on Venn diagram is definitely not the right diagram to do for this, but uh, we were there doing a graph on. Do you know well, what a Venn diagram is, Danny? Yeah, it's the circle one. Uh, <laughs> definitely not the right one for that. Then we were sitting there thinking, right, well, if Germany <laughs> bottle their group and come second, England shouldn't top their group. Because then they'll have a... We we sat there for a long time and I still don't really know what came out of it, to be honest. These are the (laughs) desperate thoughts of England fans. Yeah. Um, One more thing I will mention about that Belgian... Well, two more things. One thing is Lukaku's already had 70 caps in Belgium. He's only 25. He's their leading goal scorer with about 37 goals. 15 in his last 10 as well. You can only get better, surely, from there with this team behind him. But the refereeing in that game, eight yellow cards... Yeah. Three for Belgium, five for Panama, I think. I might have got, I think I've got that the right way around. It was, I mean, it was a bit of a scrappy game, but that refereeing in that was dreadful. Mark Lawrenson was just tutting away. Again, um, no, in terms of, in terms of the refereeing, <laughs> it talks about potentially <coughs> questionable. With, with the VR and the refereeing, all that everyone wants is just consistency. Yeah. And he was consistent go, in that game for giving out yellow cards for absolute trash. Absolutely. But we talk about the Tunisia game where, I, I don't believe Tunisia got a yellow card the whole game. And obviously, England fans especially will think that they should have got several, not mm. only for those certain incidents, but time-wasting, etc., etc. And then go on to that game where there were several cards dished out. It, it's just a matter of consistency. VAR, oh, yeah. refereeing, it, it's just a middle ground that everyone wants, isn't it? Well, let's move on from uh, one match where the referee was a star to another match where... That's, I think it's able to say the star was definitely someone else in the Portugal-Spain match. Ronaldo with his hat-trick, doing what Ronaldo does best. What a man. What a, Just th- that him... free kick, so late on to make the draw. Before the free kick, I'm going to rewind to the beginning of the season, to like Christmas time, where the man had scored one goal in La Liga. Yes. And everyone was like... He's lost it. That's it. He's done. Ronaldo is finished. Where are you now? And fast forward to winning the Champions League and then scoring a hat-trick against Spain in the World Cup. I mean... It's it's just Ronaldo, isn't it? It's just... It's so him. He's just the ultimate professional, isn't he? And I think everyone... Well, potentially a lot of the people watching, it's the final few minutes of the game. Ronaldo steps up. I think a lot of people would have thought, this is going sky high. Well, this, he's th- never this isn't been that anywhere. great at free kicks. Especially but over the last few years, his uh, I, I don't know the exact stats, but his percentage... not It's about 10, probably. At exactly. Least. It's going to be quite low. And obviously, he still is the priority taker for both Real Madrid and Portugal. Um, in terms of Portugal, you could hardly sort of take it off him. Yeah. But he, he steps up and absolutely does it. He pulls the shorts up, <laughs> looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Gives the guy the eyes and... He just wants to show his quads. Absolutely. But no, just stuck it in the top corner. I don't want to be that guy again, but I'm going to be the cynical one again. It was a really good free kick. De Gea's positioning for that free kick, he did not have a good game, 
awful positioning for a goalkeeper. He stood so far to the left-hand side. He essentially said to Ronaldo, go on, put it in the top corner. And really, that's all Ronaldo had to do. You feel like a, a goalkeeper of De Gea's quality. And I know I'm being super cynical. Quick, though. It was a quick, as in... It's, yeah. He hit it. It's, he hit it's it coming off his yeah. boot. Yeah, okay. But then... For me, a goalkeeper, if he knows that it's not that far out, should not be standing that far to one side. He was basically on his left-hand post, right-hand post, whatever post there wasn't he went in. It's very true. And if you've ever looked at a, a Cristiano Ronaldo free kick from that position and that distance, exactly. it's probably going on the right-hand side. I'm or not sure how many wall. times he puts it across the goalkeeper from no. a free I, I kick haven't position seen like him that. in a while. I think, I mean, this is just my memory probably playing tricks on me. But if you look at the free kick he scored against Spain and the last free kick he scored, which was the one against Wolfsburg in the Champions League, they're near identical free kicks. Doesn't go for power for once, just goes for a side foot and just puts it in that corner. That free kick or Alexander Kolarov's free kick against Costa Rica? Oh, that's not fair. I think Kolarov's. I, I'd go Kolarov's as well. Clean as well. That's Stunning. You couldn't not sort of, have placed that ball any better in absolutely. that Absolutely. And it's your sort of classic free kick as well, bending it round straight in yeah. the top corner goalkeeper's got no chance he there regardless of position anything. he could have had the best reflexes in the world he's not getting that free kick yeah. so that's that's probably better for me what a game though in general oh yeah 100% I mean even Cristiano Ronaldo aside Diego Costa's contribution to that game finally yeah. alone yeah Spain fans are thinking why have you not done this before man he's finally stepped up to the plate that's a good point about Diego Costa though is that I mean, they haven't got a huge amount of goal scorers in that squad, Spain. They've got a lot of technical talent. Loads of creative players. But there's not a huge amount of places where the goals can come from. To be fair, though, he made Jose Fonte look exactly like the man he is playing in China. He twisted him and turned him every which way before yeah. rifling in for that first goal. He's really showed off Portugal's sort of insecurities there in defence. Oh, yeah. And I think everyone was very happy to see Pepe not be sort of rewarded for that going down with the flailing yeah. arms and... It was, screaming it was good look to see. at his face. You can just picture Clattenburg sort of licking his lips in that <laughs> Champions League final. Not again. Yeah. yeah. That's a nightmarish but, thing. But no, it's, it's amazing. I think Costa adds a sort of edge to that Spain team in a way. Because obviously in that 2014 World Cup, it's very much new to that team. And they're still trying to play, play in a certain system that's done them really well in the past. But there's not quite the talent there in 2014. And they, they don't quite have that you know, abilities to just keep going, keep going, and, and eventually something's going to happen. Whereas now, they were perfectly happy to lump a ball up to oh, Diego yeah. Costa. Spanish teams doing sort of long ball Route up to Costa football. and letting him sort of sort it out from there. And and that was both their goals, wasn't it? The first one, mm. a long ball from, was it Busquets? I yeah, believe. yeah. And then the second one was a free kick, you know, to the far post. And again, Busquets headed it back across. The interesting thing about that is, Funnily enough, that's Loptegui's doing. He wanted them to move away from this ticky-tacker football because Spain have tried to move away from that and play a more direct style. Not long ball, but more direct. And it's paid dividends even though he's not there anymore. Are you saying Costa to Real Madrid? Yes. Is this, you <laughs> heard it here done. first. It's Diego not, Costa it's to not Real Madrid. a bad shot. I don't think he'll leave uh, <laughs> Atletico, but they could, they could do with a player like that. All right, so you talked about Pepe going down. The one player that's gone down more than Pepe, Neymar, Force of the, it was down on the floor for practically half the game. I mean, he right, so he was fouled the most any single player has been fouled in 20 years uh, at the World Cup. He was fouled 10 times. Uh, Alan Shearer was the, the last player to be fouled more than that. But Switzerland went after him and it worked for them. I mean, it sounds really harsh, but if you know that Neymar is a player who can change a game like that, just don't give him the opportunity. Val and Barami pretty much kicked him across the pitch. And then when Barami got booked and came off, everyone else did it as well. Xhaka did it. Uh, Lang, who came on at right back, did it. And you think, if that's all it takes, I think we were talking about this in the pub the other day, if all it takes is to give Neymar a quick, swift couple of kicks early doors to get him not in the mood to do all of his tricks and skills, why doesn't every team do that? Well, it showed off sort of Brazil's lack of like, physicality. And... I think by the end of that, I think even the referee was fed up with Neymar falling on the floor because a lot of them weren't actually fouls. Yeah, he did get fouled 10 times, but a lot of them weren't. And they were just him going down looking for fouls because he doesn't have that physicality to 
to stand up to these players. That's Switzerland did really, really well there to just cut out all of Brazil's flair. Again, Brazil have got a lot of individual talent, and we'll get to that Coutinho moment in a little bit. But like they, Switzerland had a game plan and they executed it so so well, and they managed to score that header from some shocking Brazil defending, uh, and they got the draw really really well done for out. My second team or my first team until England go out Switzerland. <laughs> really really good performance there. But certainly, if you're a, a player from Serbia, certainly a defender from Serbia or Costa Rica, you're looking at that game thinking, there's the blueprint. A couple of firm challenges on Neymar. And he, he does tend to do this. He feels hard done by if players are willing to get in his face and be physical. Do you think and, that... And it Sorry. feels like he, you know, is unable to sort of deal with that sort of tense physical defenders. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Brazil squad would have then benefited from having Firmino up top instead of Jesus then? He did come on with about 20 minutes to go. Didn't have a huge impact, but as maybe more of a target man than Jesus is... And with a bit more physicality, do you think they'd have benefited from having him there? Yeah, maybe. He's not that much more physical. He he holds the ball up better because he's played that for Liverpool, yeah. sort of that false nine. I just think Switzerland got it really, really right. They they knew what their game plan was. They stuck to it. Did they get fortunate with their goal? Probably. It maybe is a foul if we're being like... Uh, it wasn't much of... It wasn't much in it, but it probably... Maybe if... I mean, if Walkers was given, that could have been given. But yeah, but I think where's VAR? <laughs> like, it's right though. You talk about game plan. You talk about the Switzerland team having a game plan. We talked about last episode about the Russian team having a game plan for the uh, Saudi Arabian game. It didn't feel like the Brazil team went into that game with you know situational game plans. It just felt like you know we're here with Brazil. We are going to score eventually. The talent will come through. There's, there wasn't a special, you know, there was no plan B, basically. Yeah. It just felt like they would carry on doing the same thing, you know, and, and eventually it would come through and it just didn't. And bearing in mind their <laughs> last World Cup game was a 7-1 drubbing to Germany, you'd have thought they'd have come out with a little bit more vigour. And it really only took a spectacular Coutinho goal to put them in front. I don't think they created that many clear-cut chances otherwise. I think there was a shot cleared off the line from... Shah, right at the end, was the only real chance they created. Miranda fired one wide as well. Yeah, like you said, they just sort of turned up and thought, we'll score eventually. And they did. And then they didn't really do anything else after that. I mean, no. my, my highlight from the game was Slavan Bilic. Always, deli- <laughs> always delightful to see him in the studio. And once oh, again, he, he came great, through. Wasn't he? Um, well, speaking of that dude, Coutinho goal, we are doing a sort of goal of the tournament competition. Uh, whether it be goal at the knockout stages and then goal of the entire tournament. We've mentioned three of them already. Uh, I've got five here so far. So that Ronaldo free kick, the Kolarov free kick, Coutinho stunned that no goalkeeper in the world would have saved from that angle. Just so, so powerful and right in the side. Uh, Cherishev versus Saudi Arabia, I think is up there. And then Mertens' volley uh, we saw on Monday. Of those five, where do you think is leading so far? I'm going to put Cherishev's. I just like an outside of the boot. I don't know why. It did look good. I just think it looked really nice. I think for me, it, it's not just the quality of the goal. It's also the context to it. So for that, <laughs> for that reason, I'll go with Ronaldo's free kick. Ah. Just because pressure situation, you know, it's potentially not the best goal out of that group. No, I, I definitely agree with you for sort of tight, like for when it happened and the meaning of the goal, I would go with Ronaldo. But I can't look past Philip Coutinho's one. It was just so stunning. Um, <coughs> and we've seen it do it so often for Liverpool. Not so much for Barcelona since he signed, but it's what we all know him for is those long range goals. I think he doesn't score goals inside the box, he only scores wonder goals, and he's now doing it for Brazil. And without that, they could have lost. So I think of importance as well, I think I'm going to go with Coutinho's. But of course, we haven't even finished the first sort of round-up of matches so far. Colombia, we know how Rodriguez is capable of some stunners. Mm. So we'll keep an eye for that. And then we've got another two games from each group, you know, each team coming up as well. So, so many goals yet to come for the goal of the group stages. And then, God knows, even more until the final uh, on the 15th. So we'll definitely keep you updated with that. Now we're going to move on 
to perhaps well the, the biggest upset of the tournament so far. Stunned faces everywhere. Mexico beating Germany. What happened? Lozano happened. <laughs> and I'm not going to sit here and say that I saw that coming because I thought Germany were going to win that game quite comfortably. But Mexico absolutely nailed Germany on every single counter-attack. And I thought Germany will learn eventually. Like It's, it's happened twice in the first half an hour. They'll learn. They'll le- they, didn't, nope. they didn't learn. They conceded from it. And then they had to chase the game and that just played into Mexico's hands more and more. Absolutely. I, I mean, that game showed more than anything that there's, there's more than one way of playing football. I mean, we've marvelled this season about like Man City playing this beautiful possession-based, fluid football and Barcelona in the past as well. But I'm perfectly happy to see Mexico, you know, sit back, less possession and just hit teams on the break or hit well in this case Germany on the break and absolutely I mean it was so effective wasn't it yeah. and again not for a, a potentially a few questionable passes they could have been two three yeah. four goals it could oh, have been 100%. All, all credit to Mexico there leaving three up at corners leaving having Chicharito Vela who was outstanding on the ball and Lozano as well leaving all three of them up there at corners just to push Germany back who have got you know Boateng and Hummels for corners who are two really tall guys against Mexico leaving them up there just had that they had that ability to counter-attack and Germany couldn't deal with it I mean we had so much talk before about how Kimmich is one of the best right-backs in the world how he you literally mentioned that you thought he'd taken sort of soul of Philip Lahm Philip Lahm 2.0 but he struggled massively Thomas Muller didn't track back at all and Sammy Kadira looks old and slow trying to defend that he left Tony Kroos looking like what's going on Hmm. I want Modric and Casemiro back so they just couldn't play the football they wanted to play and Mexico devastated them for it. Um, I say that game plan was spot on, but that was a serious sort of lack of judgment and then a lack of changes as well from, from Germany. It did nothing to have, to sort of counter Mexico's style. I mean, speaking of Danny's comments on Kimmich, I think there's potentially a theme developing of Danny's kiss of death. <laughs> so we'll go with Morocco as his prediction to go through. <laughs> Then Kimmich, I, I might be missing something Iran's else out here. the group there, but if, Morocco down, if, bar, down if, below. Absolutely, if you just want to make a quick statement now <laughs> that England have no hope in the World Cup. <laughs> on camera, and then... We can go on to win it! I think England are going to win the World Cup. Well, you've just killed us. Yeah, but we're no, going to lose to uh, Panama <laughs> next week. Because <laughs> you said that. But no, it was excellent. I, I want to point out one thing as well, as a West Ham fan, I don't know where that performance came <laughs> from Javier Hernandez. Where's I don't know where he's been, been? All, where has he been all season, namely on the wing for some reason. But <laughs> apart from that, it, it, was, it was a great performance and, you know, top to bottom. Yeah, and I like what, how they brought on Rafael Marquez for the fresh legs to help defend at the end. He's 39. He started, he played his debut in 1997, which was the year before I was born. He's been playing football that long and he came on for fresh legs to help Mexico defend that it was a ple- win. It was a pleasure to see him. I remember him coming on again as a sub in 2014 yeah. <laughs> because he was just, you know, the experienced legs to bring on to close out a game and thinking, my God, fair play to you. Yeah, yeah. At your age, well done. Fourth World Cup, fantastic. Good on him. I thought, yeah, you'll be done now. But yeah, for a f- he's, he's, I think World he Cup, stated he's retiring after this tournament as well. So wouldn't be surprised if he's the manager for the next tournament. No. Um, so you know, good luck to Mexico. We th- I think we 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 reckon they'd get out of their group anyway, potentially winning it now, which would upset a lot of things. In well, defence of Mexico, sorry for interrupting you. In defence of Mexico, we lauded Germany to absolutely clean sweep this group. Germany hadn't been that good on the lead up. They had a few shaky friendlies, and Mexico. Are a decent team. Like they're not, they're not a new team got to a lot World of Cup. And Lozano, who scored the goal, it's not like he was in bad form for PSV. He'd scored 19 goals this season. So <laughs> that ain't bad at all. Combine that with Hernandez, who seemed to go what I'd call anti-Hernandez. He couldn't finish anything, but his hold-up play became ridiculous. But no, there will be questions about Germany now, obviously. Oh yeah. And um, and one I can think of is, uh, have they been a bit arrogant in the last year? Because Joachim Lowe has had such a wealth of players to pick from. Um, for example, in the Confederations Cup, he took none of Germany's you know, established first team. He took a sort of younger team to the tournament, and they obviously did very well, won it, cleaned up. But that team has been slightly disjointed for the whole of the year. Talk about them not having won a game in nine months, which the pundits were not particularly worried about. 
again because they said your has been tweaking with this team they've they've had this sort of time because they do have this wealth of experience in the team as well as some fantastic players coming forward but is that something that's going to come back and bite them now because they haven't been playing a consistent first 11 for you know going on a year now yeah and now they're in a tournament and they've got a you know all of a sudden get cohesive it, yeah. all of us it does all of a sudden look really, really dangerous if you're a germany fan we mentioned it last episode but is that decision to leave Leroy Sane out of that squad gonna really, really affect how they do? Yes, I absolutely do think it will, you know, have an effect long term. Think about that game. How tired did Mexico look? They were absolutely dead on their feet and and Germany just weren't quick enough. You've got a player like Leroy Sane, even if you're bringing him off the bench. Tired Mexico legs. The last thing they want to see is Leroy Sane hugging the left wing, cutting inside, causing some damage. Mm. And, and, that really would have been an option off the bench. I'm not sure Draxler offered the same sort of threat that he does. And certainly Brandt, but apart from that, the a wicked wonder goal. It was a wicked shot. But other than that, he didn't offer what you would think was equivalent to, you know, Sané. Yeah. The yeah. basics is that Leroy Sané offers something different that the that Germany team don't have. Uh, yeah. And even if it's just on a whim to take him just in case... That Mexico game is when he could have been used and potentially a huge mistake from Joachim Lowe. He speeds the game up. He, he picks up the ball, he turns and runs at defenders. And that's probably something they wanted at that stage. Leroy Sané picking the ball up from the halfway line and just, you know, running at yeah. Mexican yeah. left back. I mean, uh, right I don't understand. If you're starting for Manchester City, who are undoubtedly one of the best teams in Europe, how you can't be starting for your national team. But I mean, you talk to everyone else in that City team, I think, is starting for their country that is there. Like Bar Edison. Oh, bar Edison, but that's only because of Allison there. So, yeah, big decision left out. The one thing that I think you said it perfectly in terms of the Brazil game, that they didn't really seem to have a game plan, seemed the same for Germany. And to be honest, seemed the same for Argentina as well in their draw to Iceland. These massive teams who just have a wealth of good players just seem to have not really any style of play, which seems mental coming into a World Cup. I genuinely don't think I saw that Germany team have a any sort of style of play apart from give the ball to Kroos and hope that he does something. He and is it, almost that talismanic figure for Germany now. Exactly. And Kimmich had a really poor game. He was fine going forward, but that's not what you want at a World Cup. Did not track back defensively at all. Kadira, you mentioned, had a poor game. And you kind of look at Germany, you look at Brazil, you look at Argentina you can see the same sort of patterns emerging. You have big players just not performing very well. I mean, Argentina were pretty dire against Iceland. Yeah. Which kind of makes England look a lot better with that loss in the Euros because Iceland aren't actually that bad of a team. No. Well, what I was going to say, is going to be very interesting seeing this German 11 against Sweden on Saturday the 23rd. Um is it going to be really similar and just hope that the players can then perform or are they going to make huge changes and see... Uh, I mean, I don't like... I can't imagine not starting Kimmich. I don't know who else they've got in that squad, but to, to leave him out would be huge. But then they, that means they've got to rejig all the midfield. They can't have Muller on the right because he didn't try back and they need someone else in that defensive midfield slot to help him out. Um, I, I, I think at this stage he's undroppable. I mean, there was that stat that he's no one has played more over the last two years than Yeah, Kimmich. I think he's, he's had the longest run under Joachim Lowe for a really long time. He hasn't dropped him for a game for ages. So I think probably you trust the system. I think you trust the players to bounce back from that, yeah. from that defeat, Saying don't that, you? If Kadira starts against Sweden, I'm going to be shocked because he was woeful. Just get Goretzkren. Yeah, the man has had an amazing season. Yeah. Is signing for Bayern Munich on a free. On a free? Just, yes, on a free. Just get him in the team because... I mean, Kadira didn't have the best of seasons for Juventus. He had an okay season, but I think he went for experience. Didn't really pay off. Yeah. So potentially Sweden with the the team with the least attacking threat in that group, maybe do try something new out because South Korea have got Son, who we know poses a huge threat. Even if that's how the rest of the South Korean team isn't particularly strong, maybe try out something new against Sweden and revamp that midfield. Maybe put Muller through the middle. I mean, Ozil isn't going to really going to track back either. I mean, he did a few times because at the end of that game, knowing that they needed it, but. They've got to try. They've got to try something new in the middle of the park and get some quicker players in there. 
to just to do something. But on that point of these big teams being complacent, I think that's what's been expected of England quite a few times. And we've always had these big players haven't performed. This time we seem like we've got a really good system. It's completely different. The team has a you know a style of play. It's benefiting us that we're not seen as one of these big teams anymore because we're now acting like sort of Mexico that you know are playing some interesting football. So you know it's benefiting us not not having this sort of complacent attitude. I think absolutely. Um, one thing on that that Group F sort of mix. Uh, did you hear that uh, sort of news about Son in South Korea? In terms of um, so basically, there's a national service for South Korea. Uh, has well, every single male citizen of South Korea has to complete. I, I believe it's two years of national service before their 27th birthday or something like that. The exception, sorry, being if you have got a gold medal or a World Cup <laughs> <laughs> or a major tournament. So for Son, this could mean more than. <laughs> Just football. Oh my god! I reckon. What, he... what are South Korea's chances? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> he's going to carry he, them all the way. Does he need to do national service? I, re- I reckon he's one of those guys that probably would get let off for that. I think just purely because of the talent he's got. I mean, it you wouldn't take him away from Tottenham, right? I well, I believe all all of that squad. I think there's a couple of members that have had to do it. Yeah. And um, the others are, you know, not of age yet. They have. They haven't reached that age. That's been too so, yeah, you could see Son in a... How old is Son now? He's 26. Uh, that's an excellent question. I'm not very I sure. Think, I, think, I think I'm, you're right. I think I'm, he's 26. If he's 26 and his birthday is in the coming months, he's doing national service. Whereas if he's like 26 and has got a year, surely he just forces his way to Real Madrid and just thinks, <laughs> come on. You're going to see him play for a different country in four years' time. He's going to get a visa somewhere else. So the milestone um, is July 2019. <laughs> Oh, he's got a Premier League season, essentially. Yep, and it would be two two seasons after that. And They must uh, let him off, surely. Included in that list would be the 2018 Asian Games. If he could win that, he would be exempt from national service. So this could be a huge, huge year for Son. So Tim Cahill will be there as well. So it's Tim Cahill. Tim Cahill denying human son. Forces human son to complete national service. Tim Cahill's done very well to be mentioned two podcasts in a row, by the way. And he will continue to be mentioned. We're talking about big countries struggling. France really, (laughs) really struggled against Australia. It's saying they're my pick to win against my also pick to get out of the group. But yeah, with the squad they've got, I don't understand quite how they're, you know not romping through. Look like a team of individuals. Yeah, and it Bel- shouldn't be. Belgium-esque. Yeah, that essentially. Yeah. Are that, yeah, is there a coherent sort of system there? It's a very young team as well. Yeah. Let's let's not forget that. Are they the youngest team? That I want to say yes. Uh, I, I think so. I think, I think I, I heard that. that. But well, that, that plays a factor. That's a, It's a it, World Cup. <laughs> Regardless of the talent, Yeah. if you're not playing to your fullest ability... Uh, breaking down an Australia team who, you know, they, they played well enough. They were actually hard done by, potentially, oh. depending on how you look at it with that Griezmann penalty. Yeah. I was sitting on the fence of that. I, Quick I wasn't fire. too sure. I'm going no. I don't think it was a pen. You didn't think it was a penalty? No, I didn't think it was. Yeah. You? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> there was a slight touch, so I guess within the rules of the game it was, but God. That that's also the thing about VR. It's a World Cup for penalties, isn't it? Oh yeah. How many penalties have there been so far? But yeah. that is that is the implication of VR because those yeah. sort of incidents that would otherwise get sort of brushed aside wouldn't even be sort of covered in the media or you know yeah and all that they they're gonna get pulled up. Well, at least you can't say it's not an interesting tournament uh, with all these big teams underperforming and all this, these upset results uh, going on. Like who'd have guessed with the f- sort of midfield that France have got that they'd be a uh, you know, really challenged by Australia. But there you go. Bet Graham Souness was absolutely livid that Paul Pogba scored as well. Yeah. Uh, Has been taken away from him now. But. Was it Was it given as an own goal? Yeah. 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 I mean, it did take a, it did take yeah. a deflection. They but didn't I mean, mention it. You know, Kante and Pogba could potentially be the best midfield partnership in the world. But Pogba hasn't performed. And when you've got an underperforming France squad, or an underperforming team in general... Kante can't carry that. You know, he's exceptional when you've got a good team, but when you've got a poor team, you can't just rely on him to do all the defensive work. And he wasn't particularly standout. 
I think um, it was amazing to see him in that. I think it was like the 89th minute or something, picking up the ball and just sprinting forward. Yeah, the, we, the legs on the man is it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I've seen him in so many games, but it's still a wonderful yeah. sight to see just him darting being, over the being pitch. Being a Chelsea fan, watching him every week is just stunning. And he, I, I'm of the opinion that he can he's he can walk into any team in the world and get into their first team. Um, he's that good. But you know, France needs need more from everyone. And then <laughs> they won, though. They did and win. I, a bit like England today, who dominated the game and got the winner in the last one. They they still won the game, but yeah. re- the big teams have struggled. They have. And it's weird. Well, I mean, for an entertainment point of view, I hope that continues because it could be such an interesting World Cup if it does. Oh, 100%. Quickly, whilst we were talking about the uh, the youngest teams in the tournament, I had a quick search on the old internet. Nigeria are the youngest team oh, with really? an average age of 25.9. Um, it's the whole squad. Then it's France at 26. England also 26. So it's a, it's a very, yeah. very it's young, a really inexperienced squad. Well, without Ashley Young, I think it'd be an average age of about Jeez. 17, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> he is like 40. Ashley Young, 80 years old. So interesting stat that Alan told me about is that Ashley Young is the first player called Young to be the oldest player in a World Cup squad since Choi Yong-il in 1998. So he's the first Young to be the oldest Young in a squad. Since 1998. Since 1998. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that's an entry from Dr. Seuss. Thanks for getting in touch. <laughs> what a stat that is. If you've got any more interesting stats, do tweet us at gametime underscore pod or drop us an email at uh, gametimepodcast1 at gmail.com. Whilst we're on the subject of weird stats, do you want me to continue updating you on the World Cup team of the tournament by stats team that oh, I've made? Absolutely. Alan, you don't sound enthused. Yeehaw, let's do it. Yeehaw. Um, So we'll work backwards. So obviously we have Golovin, who got in on match day one with that fantastic performance. Then Ronaldo with a stunning 9.9 rating. Not going to be beaten. Saturday's game, which was that awesome four-match day, Kasper Schmeichel was the best-rated player with an 8.1. Well, there were only two clean sheets. Well, that's a drop-off. That... That was a massive drop-off from the 9.9. So, Kasper Michael is our goalkeeper at the moment. Then we go to Sunday. It was the Mexico-Germany game. Jesus Gallardo, the wing-back for Mexico, got an 8.5. I, think, I was expecting Lozano in that. Yeah, he got an 8.4. Very close. So, he was the second highest of the whole weekend. Well, Rafael Marquez has been hard done by there. He <laughs> has. Sensational five minutes. And Monday, this one's going to hurt England fans. It's not Harry Kane. After those two goals, that's a good performance. Lukaku, won't it? Lukaku... Harry Kane got an 8.4, Lukaku got an 8.6. So, the team lines up, Lukaku and Ronaldo up top, Golovin is the only midfielder, Gallardo at left wing back, and then Kasper Schmeichel in goal, so far. If you get more than one goalkeeper, we're going to have to play a goalkeeper outfield. I'm not going to do that. I'm, uh, they'll populate the bench. <laughs> well, Lukaku may have won that day, but Harry Kane won the nation's hearts. I was so. literally oh, going to say that. Oh, what a oh, line. Dear. So that's it for the first round of matches uh, we're covering on Game Time. Next time we talk to you, we'll be analysing and previewing the second round of matches. Loads of really interesting matchups there. Huge potential for upsets and all this sort of trend of these big teams really struggling, likely to continue. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do follow us on Twitter at GameTime underscore pod. Drop us an email at GameTimePodcast1 at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do check us out. We're anchor.fm slash game dash time. We're also on SoundCloud. Please let us know any talking pause or anything you want us to discuss in our upcoming episodes. 